Okay, let's get it. It is Monday edition of Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona and glad to have you aboard with us. LSU postseason baseball will play on. The Tigers sweep through the Baton Rouge Regional and the even better news, not that that could really be bested because you got to win to play on, but uh, certainly fantastic news as well. Florida State upsets Georgia to win the Athens Regional, which means postseason baseball will be at the box next weekend as well with Florida State coming to Baton Rouge for the uh, Baton Rouge Super Regional. So we'll talk about uh, uh, FSU coming in. We'll also talk about what is a big couple of days here for LSU baseball with the first-year players draft in Major League Baseball taking place the next couple of days. Uh, today, rounds one and two, and uh, you're going to be sweating out a couple of current players and uh, some potential future Tigers as well that are expected to hear their name called. So we'll get to all of that. First, though, LSU beats Southern Miss um, 6-4 to on Sunday night at the box to sweep the Baton Rouge Regional. Uh, let, let's go chronologically talking about uh, each of the games this week and how it played out. But here was Paul Maneri talking about how the Tigers eked it out on Sunday over the Golden Eagles. Our record in the close games is really outstanding. And I, I, I think sometimes that frustrates people that follow our team because they want to see us blow people out. But really, it's my father used to tell me this all the time when I would get frustrated when we play a team, maybe that's not, you know, not equal team to, to, to my team that I was coaching, and we'd eke out a victory. And my, I'd talk to my father on the phone, and I'd say, you know, get upset that we didn't play better. Some, and he'd always say, hey, those kind of games will make you a better team. You'll learn to win those close ones. And I always, I can always hear that voice in my ear. So even when, you know, like tonight, I thought we were going to run away with this game, and we just couldn't. And at times you get a little frustrated, but you just, you know, that kept, kept hearing his voice in my ear saying, find a way to win, and it'll be, it'll be, everything will be okay. And that's basically what we did tonight. Very fitting, and you could tell that uh, Paul Maneri's father, who, of course, passed away earlier this year, is never far uh, from his mind, from his heart. And a, a fitting and touching uh, commentary there from Coach Maneri. And an impactful moment for LSU baseball. Look, this is a team that obviously had its up and downs this year. And this is a team that started the season preseason number one, and two weeks into the season lost Jaden Hill and then lost Landon Marceau. And obviously just went through a barrage of arm injuries and some guys not producing the way that that maybe we thought they would. And pulmonary always says play better in March than you did in February. Play better in April than you did in March. Play better in May than you did in April. And be playing your best ball come June. And it looks like that's where LSU is. So uh, let's recap the weekend. The Tigers on Friday just blast Stony Brook 17-3. And that was sort of a a drum that I beat a lot last week. I know there was a lot of fear uh, or concern because of what happened in 2012. This was not that Stony Brook team. The guy they ran out there had a 5-1-3 ERA. Um, That Stony Brook team in 2012 had seven drafted players on it, more than that LSU team did. This was just not a great Stony Brook baseball team. And LSU went out and they started early and just bludgeoned the baseball and they rallied behind uh, Landon Marceau, who was spectacular in that ball game, and gave LSU an efficient outing and was what he has been really over the last six weeks, which is LSU's ace. Marceau gave him five innings, just 53 pitches to get through five innings. Uh, he struck out three, walked just one, allowed two runs on seven hits. Landon Marceau was awesome, but more impressively is that LSU hit up and down the lineup. Duplantis had a three-for-five night more on him in a bit. 
Daniel Cabrera was uh, was one for four, but also had a walk. Just a big, big night for LSU offensively. Zach Watson um, had three RBI in the game with the big home run. Uh, Saul Garza was two for four in that game against Stony Brook. Basically, everybody hit, and that was fantastic to see, which set up the marble game. Now, I love how they handled it with, with Marceau. Because LSU was cruising at that point, I think it was maybe 14-3 to when they lifted him in the fifth, um, they saved him. Because if, if you got to a spot where you potentially needed to play on Monday, Marceau could have come back and played. And in effect, though, they were able to just finish out the string with Mikhail Hilliard and uh, Chase Costello and just uh, Rye Gunter, I believe, was the final pitcher of the, of the night. I'm not looking at the, at the box score directly. But in any event, it was an opportunity for LSU just to get through the rest of the game and preserve their pitching for the marble game, which they did. And, of course, LSU then played Southern Miss in the winner's bracket game after Southern Miss beat Arizona State. And you know, it looked like LSU was going to cruise behind Cole Henry, who was just awesome. Uh, like um, like Marceau the night before him, Cole Henry was at his efficient best. He gave LSU five innings. Uh, it took him 85 pitches, but uh, five innings pitch, no runs on just two hits. He did walk three and struck out six. And then Todd Peterson followed with a perfect sixth inning and then loaded the bases in the seventh with, uh, without allowing a hit. It was walk, hit batsman, hit batsman. And then they went to Zach Hess, who gave up a grand slam. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are frustrated with some of Hess's allowing home runs, and, and I, I'm not going to discredit that. I mean, Hess's ERA since he went back to the bullpen is near five, and he's allowed, I believe, ten home runs. It's, he, he's been susceptible to it. The one on Saturday night, I don't know how you fault Zach Hess for that. It was a beautiful breaking ball. The kid literally went down to his knee. I mean, he swung literally with his back knee on the ground and just golfed it golfed it over the right field fence. So in some instances, you tip your cap to the other guy, but I'm, I'm not worried about Zach Hess in that instance. Uh, he gave LSU ultimately three innings of one-run baseball. The, the previous three runs obviously were – attributed to Peterson but um the just the 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 home run was uh, all Hess gave up and he struck out four he was awesome on 49 pitches and got LSU through that game and uh into a into the the catbird seat where someone was gonna have to come back and beat LSU twice which ultimately uh needed to be Southern Miss they play Sunday night and uh, Eric Walker got the start was perfect through the order once uh, did not allow a hit until he finally uh, – it was 9-up, nine 9-down nine before he finally allowed a home run, a solo shot, which allowed uh, Southern Miss to get on the board. Then he got into a little bit of trouble, and ultimately LSU gave up that lead, as we saw, and that was a bit concerning. But at the same time, and I tweeted this during the game on Saturday – or on Sunday, rather, it was one of those things where you knew Southern Miss was out of pitching and LSU was still hitting the ball. And because LSU and Palmineri – had a, basically every valuable arm out of the bullpen available except for Zach Hess, Maneri was never going to let Southern Miss separate itself because he could go to Matt Beck, he could go to Devin Fontenot, he could go to Todd Peterson for an inning if he needed it. Uh, Trent Vetmeyer was available and ultimately pitched an inning for LSU or two innings for LSU. Um, it was a situation where... LSU was going to be in a great spot, and plus you knew the offense was going to break through against a, a depleted Southern Miss bullpen, which they did. So even though Southern Miss took the lead uh, with a three spot in the fifth, LSU came back with a three spot of its own in the bottom of the seventh and uh, took the lead and never looked back. 
So you had Eric Walker pitch well enough. Matt Beck went a third of an inning, got a huge bases-loaded strikeout to get out of that uh, that fifth inning. Vetmeyer with two innings of scoreless relief, and then uh, Devin Fontenot with two innings of scoreless relief to uh, to save it. So, I mean, LSU got exactly what it needed, which was a, a sweep. It used all of its its pieces efficiently. Uh, Antoine Duplantis, congrats to him. He becomes LSU's career hits leader on Sunday with a first-inning single. Uh, Dr. Eddie Furness with a classy tweet congratulating Duplantis, and he's been supportive all the way along. So uh, LSU hit essentially one through nine. Uh, their starting pitching was fantastic. Certainly Marceau and Henry were the stories, and Walker was was good enough, got LSU off to a good enough starting game three. And out of the bullpen, you were dominant. This is This is what we expected LSU might look like uh, at the beginning of the season, and now it's starting to materialize. Um, I, I could talk about the decision to bunt Chris Reed with runners on first and second and nobody out and ultimately not getting any runs home, but realistically, you all know how I feel at this point about bunting. I would never do it. I certainly wouldn't take the bat out of Chris Reed's hand in that spot, and ultimately LSU got nothing out of a, a golden opportunity. I've had a lot of people ask about Hal Hughes, who continues to struggle at the plate, but listen, I'll, my feeling on this, and I know how Paul Maneri feels about it, and and I don't think he's wrong, you know, when you're hitting, and, and Hughes right now is hitting 177, but the rest of the order is is crushing the baseball right now. And when you're hitting, when eight guys in your lineup are producing, I'll take a guy at a, a premium defensive position. I'll take Hal Hughes at third to get a better glove on the infield at you know batting ninth and hitting 177 if it means I'm going to have the best defensive lineup I have out in the field. I don't know what your alternative is. You you theoretically could move Reed back to third, put Beloso at first, and then DH DiGiacomo or Willis or Bianco or Duga. But I don't know that any of them has a bat that's been consistent enough to warrant taking Hughes's glove out of the field. We've seen Maneri do this. He did it in 2013 with Andrew Stevenson, who at 180 as a freshman, put, but he was in center and played an awesome center field. Uh, Austin Nola at short as a freshman hit right around 200, but he was a great defensive shortstop. Mike uh, Papierski struggled at the plate at times in his career, but he was such a good defensive catcher. Maneri was willing to sacrifice the bat to have the great defensive glove in the field. And I think the same is true right now for Hughes. So I'll I'll take the premium glove in the field uh, unless somebody else starts to materialize offensively, which at this point it's hard to imagine that happening. So Nonetheless, LSU sweeps through the Baton Rouge Regional. Uh, They advance to the Super Regional, which is where we will pick up next because LSU will be playing at home, and we'll talk about how that came about when we come back. And also, we'll talk a little MLB draft, which gets underway tonight. Which LSU players and signees do you need to keep an eye on? It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We continue Locked On LSU, your team every day. Today's show brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com. 
and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. So the fantastic news for LSU is that they will play postseason baseball for a second weekend at Alec Box Stadium. Uh, by virtue of Florida State's win over Georgia in the Athens Regional, uh, LSU, as the one seed, will host Florida State next weekend in Baton Rouge. We will find out uh, television uh, windows, start times, uh, what days. Remember, they stagger Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Saturday, Sunday, Monday, the Super Regionals. And because four Supers are already set, my assumption is that the four that are already set will be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The four that will be determined today, Monday, will be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Super Regionals. So um, I assume when you consider LSU, Florida State, two of the most prestigious historical programs in college baseball, you have Alec Box Stadium, which is going to be packed and a beautiful site for television, the LSU brand, um, and then the the angle of Mike Martin and his uh, final season, my assumption here is that LSU Florida State on both Friday is going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and on both Friday, Saturday, you will see them in prime time, and it's how it should be uh, for this weekend with LSU and Florida State. It kind of reminds me of in 2013 when you remember LSU and Oklahoma played and you had the Aaron Nola against Jonathan Gray uh, duel on that Friday night. It was a 6 o'clock first pitch on ESPN. Like My assumption is that that's what we'll see with LSU and Florida State as well. I'm not going to dive too deeply into Florida State yet. We've got plenty of time for that uh, throughout the course of this week. What you got to know, though, is that you know this is a Florida State team that darn near didn't make the field. They were one of the last teams to get in as the with a 50 RPI. Uh, understand that Florida State, like we were sweating LSU hosting with an RPI in the teens, in the upper teens. Florida State had an RPI of 50 this season and just snuck in. Like for, for perspective, Kentucky was tied for the worst record in the SEC this year. Their RPI was 51. Their, so their RPI was one spot lower than where Florida State is. Just so, so for some perspective. It's super impressive what Florida State was able to do going to Athens and winning that regional. And if there was, and it's, look, we know, we talk about it all the time. Baseball is a funny sport. Weird things can happen. Uh, and momentum is only good as your next day starting pitcher, which is in part why I thought Georgia had an awesome shot to win that regional, even coming out of the loser's bracket, because they had Emerson Hancock, they had Tony Losey, uh, they had Cole Wilcox, and they had Tim Elliott. They had four starting pitchers that are all viable SEC starters that have at times dominated this year. Now, C.J. Smith was an awesome arm that beat Cole Henry in Athens in Game 2 in that 2-1 to game earlier this year, and he's not available. But you know, after Emerson Hancock lost Game 2, I, coming back on Sunday with Tim Elliott, they won you know, on, on Sunday uh, the first game Georgia did to advance to play Florida State. Sunday evening, and they had Cole Wilcox, who's the big freshman righty who throws 100. And I thought they had a great chance to win that game, but Florida State continued swinging a hot bat. They battered Cole Wilcox and never really let up. So tip your cap to Florida State. It's it's postseason baseball, just like a lot of teams might have looked down at LSU throughout the course of the season. They're a very different team now. 
Florida State looks like one of those teams where all they needed was an opportunity to get into the tournament and make the most of it, and that's happened. So uh, LSU will host Florida State, a team that no doubt is going to come in with an awful lot of confidence, but a series nonetheless that you figure LSU will be favored to win at home. And when you look at home Super Regionals for LSU over the years where they've never won a road Super Regional, LSU's had a ton of success with home Super Regionals. If you go back and look at from UCLA in 2000 and, uh, of course, you know, Rice in 2003 and or, or Baylor in 2003 and Texas A&M in 2004. And you can go through to Cal Irvine in 2008 and then uh, Rice in 2009 when LSU would punch its ticket and ultimately win the national championship. Uh, look, there was Stony Brook in 2012 and there was Coastal Carolina in 2016. So LSU has lost home Super Regionals as well, as we know. But the obvious statement is you'd much rather play this weekend at home than on the road, and LSU gets a chance to do that with two wins away. Just win a weekend series at home, and you go back to the College World Series with a, a full arsenal and a chance to to, uh, to claim another national title if you can get to the A-team tournament in, uh, in Omaha. So LSU's playing great, and they'll get a chance to play at home this weekend with Florida State coming in. Again, throughout the week, we'll, we'll give you more and more nuggets on Florida State, but that for me was as shocking an upset as we saw this weekend, mostly because I thought Georgia was a team with the pitching to come out of a loser's bracket, even if, if they had to do so and uh, ultimately couldn't. So LSU-Florida State this weekend at Alec Box Stadium. Uh, tonight... The first-year uh, players' draft for Major League Baseball gets underway. Rounds one and two will run through what LSU current players and signees might hear their name called. That's when we come back. It's Locked on LSU. Remember, you can listen to us on the new Himalaya podcast app. Podcasting is all about customization. Customize your podcast experience with the new free Himalaya podcast app. Download the Himalaya podcast app on iTunes and Google Play. And be sure to subscribe to the Locked on LSU podcast. We'll continue next. Locked on LSU, your team every day. Wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Uh, Major League Baseball first-year players draft begins tonight, Monday. Uh, we'll run through here in just a quick second what to look for for the current and future Tigers. Got to remind you about our friends at Twillery.com, and especially with Father's Day coming up, this is an awesome opportunity to take care of the dad in your life or maybe to tell the lady in your life, dads, that this is what you want. Twillery.com slash locked on. Look, the bottom line with Twillery, shirts shouldn't wrinkle. They shouldn't itch. They shouldn't sweat. It's 2019. Twillery makes stocking up your closet as simple as restocking beer in your fridge. It's easy. It's affordable. And it is the perfect fit guaranteed. They offer non-iron untuckable performance dress shirts for as low as $55 each when you bundle four or more. It is with free shipping and free returns, so try on some twills risk-free. Feeling is believing. Get Twillery. It's twillery.com slash locked on. Again, this limited time Father's Day special, you can enjoy a free set of bottle opener collar stays as well uh, for Father's Day. Uh, $25 off with the promo code locked on. Again, use the promo code locked on for $25 off. Twillery.com slash locked on. Use the promo code locked on. Twillery, T W I L L O R Y. Twillery.com slash locked on. So, uh, first year players draft is tonight, begins tonight. Uh, here's what we'll keep an, uh, an eye on. You know, uh, you've got a handful of seniors that are, are will, will be done with the program when the season's over. 
Uh, Antoine Duplantis, Chris Reed, Brant Broussard, Clay Moffitt, Caleb Gilbert. Five seniors, that's five roster spots that will be available. Current Tigers to keep an eye on. The one that I'm keeping an eye on today is Josh Smith. First two rounds are today, Monday, and Smith has just had a hell of a year. He's a premium defender at shortstop. He can hit for average. We know we've seen he can hit for power as well. And most indications are uh, from people in the business that Smith has seen his stock skyrocket this year, and I would not be surprised at all if he hears his name called tonight. I don't know if round one, but I think middle round two is where you might hear Josh Smith's name called. Uh, Todd Peterson is another underclassman worth keeping an eye on, and while he's had an up-and-down year, when you throw 98, you're going to be sought after. So Peterson's a guy that should hear his name called as well. Uh, Garza, Watson, Hess, Beck, and Aaron George are the other draft-eligible players. Uh, Hess and Watson most certainly, wherever they go, will sign uh, so as not to lose all of their leverage by returning for a senior season. Um, Garza, for me, is the most interesting one on the list because Garza is a draft-eligible sophomore, and he indicated over the weekend that he might actually be leaning toward a return. Now, that could change if if a team jumps up and takes him in round three and offers him a seven-figure signing bonus. So that's one worth watching with Saul Garza because of the way he has just exploded here of late. But as far as the current players, you're probably going to see an exodus. And it's in part what happened when you had Smith, Watson, Duplantis, or excuse me, um, Hess, Watson, Duplantis all come back a year ago. You're just going to have a larger number of guys um, exiting this year. As far as the signees, uh, at the top of the list, you've got four or five stars. Uh, Reese Hines is an infielder out of Florida. I fully expect him to be drafted high and to sign. Uh, Daniel Espino is a right-handed pitcher out of Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, not sure there. Cade Doty is a five-star from Denham Springs who is an, a, an amazing prospect. I mean, this is a – but this feels like a Cabrera-style situation where if it weren't the fact that he's a local kid who's always dreamed of playing for LSU, he would be a first-round draft pick and sign for several millions of million dollars. But K. Doty is a guy that, because he wants to play at LSU, I think is going to pass on seven figures and ultimately end up on campus. We know about Maurice Hampton. That's one worth watching. A sign with LSU, a football. He's a five-star a baseball outfielder as well. His father has said that if Maurice is a first-round draft pick, he'll likely sign. If he's not, he'll end up at LSU. So hold your breath there tonight. Um, other ones worth watching, Raymond Torres. He's a catcher who can absolutely mash 5'11", 190 out of Charlotte. I'd expect him to be taken highly into sign. Uh, Hayden Travinsky is another catcher out of Shreveport um, who I, I ear to ground thinks they're sweating him out that he might sign. Uh, but that's a, that's so that's a couple of catchers they may lose. But Alex Malazzo makes it interesting. Malazzo's a is a kid out of Zachary who's not big, but he is a an elite defensive catcher. I've heard uh, comps as far as you know his pop time and his arm strength to Ryan Jorgensen, who was a big catcher and played you know in 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 the show. So uh, LSU just loaded up on this class. Uh, Collier Cranford's another guy in this class who um, might have been a guy that would be taken highly and signed, but he had Tommy John. He's rehabbing it right now. He's a six foot, 165-pound infielder, and but for that 
that injury he'd probably sign, but because he was injured and is rehabbing Tommy John, is likely going to end up at LSU. It's a big class for LSU with about 20 commits on it because they realized there was going to be a lot of roster turnover. You're going to have a very different-looking LSU team next year, although the pitching will be Marceau, Henry, Hill, Walker. I mean, you're going to have uh, both – by the way, both Fontenot and Vetmeyer, sophomores who are not draft eligible, so both of them will be back next season. But as we mentioned, you're losing five seniors, and you could lose any of Smith, Peterson, Garza, Watson, Hess, Beck, George. So there's you know, cl- double-digit number of players in the current roster that you're expecting to lose, and then a handful of signees that also could leave. So anyway, the guys to watch tonight, Reese Hines, Daniel Espino, Kay Doty, Mo Hampton, uh, Raymond Torres, let's see how high they go. Hayden Travinsky's another that they're holding their breath on as well. So uh, we won't know until, you know, for a couple of, for a little more than a month until uh, the, uh, the deadline to sign comes and goes. But um, in the meantime, keep an eye on those guys tonight. We'll see how they go. All right, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day, putting a button on it here. We will knock, uh, we'll, we'll bid you adieu, rather, and we'll be back tomorrow. We'll take a deeper look into the LSU Florida State Regional, and we'll recap day one of the draft and kind of how that's uh, shaping out. Uh, well, until tomorrow, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day.